Hey guys, what's the crack? How you getting on? Matthew here from Best of Belfast and welcome to another quarantine phone call. We are hopping on the phone with someone interesting from Northern Ireland every single day during the lockdown just to share their story, spread a bit of positivity and find out more about the incredible people who call this place home. So tonight is a very special night. I've been <laughs> working hard, slaving away in the garden shed, doing lots of great interviews today. Can't wait to share them with you. And it's a really special moment because I'm just looking out here through the wee kind of shed window. You know, the sun's setting. It's like, what time are we at here? I five to eight in the evening. We're in that beautiful part of the year where the sun starts to hang around a bit longer. It's got that lovely sort of golden hour feel to it. And we are just about to hop on the phone with the one and only Gary Lightbody. Now, Gary is absolutely no stranger to you if you grew up in Northern Ireland, and indeed if you are a music fan anywhere in the world. He's the lead singer of Snow Patrol, a band that's just celebrated its 25th anniversary. Isn't that mad? Absolutely crazy. They've sold over 70 million albums worldwide. They've played on pretty much every stage known to man. They've picked up over 1 billion global streams, 5 UK platinum albums, awards and nominations in all shapes and sizes. And they've just got back from their reworked tour, which is pretty much where they go back through their back catalogue, their archive of all these incredible songs. And they've basically come at every single track with a brand new approach and kind of this amazing moment to stop and pause and reflect on the band's history, reflect on their legacy, I suppose ruminate and decide and figure out and perhaps be inspired for what's next. But what's really interesting as a as a listener, as a fan of the band, is it also give us this really unique opportunity just to pause and kind of look back over the years too. Gary's been incredibly vocal and incredibly honest over the last few years about his own battles with alcoholism and depression and has become a really important voice both here locally and globally for speaking up to talk about those issues that all of us go through to some extent whether it's ourselves personally or people connected to us and I just think not only is he a brilliant example of what people from Northern Ireland can achieve from good old Bangor <laughs> shout out to Bangor once again Man, people from Bangor are absolutely slain on this podcast uh, but he's also a really great example of someone who is using their platform for good uh, to make an impact on some of those issues that matter most to us so yeah that's enough for me I've just about made it to my time here so I'm not going to be late for Gary and uh, just going to hop on the phone and I am really looking forward to sharing this interview with you and finding out more about Gary's story so here we go. Hello. Hello, hello. How are you getting on? I'm good, thank you. How's it going? It's good. I was loving the, the multiple dial tones there in the background. <laughs> Yes, um, I'm a drug dealer in my spare time. <laughs> so, I mean, well, number one, thank you so much for taking your time. Really, really appreciate it, man. It's a real pleasure to chat to you. Oh, it's, uh, it's a pleasure. And um, kind of the place that we've been starting a lot of these conversations off with is a bit random, but it's always interesting to see where we go. Uh, JQ, when we interviewed Johnny, he gave such a funny answer to this question. But uh, we like to ask people, do you have a first memory? And if you do, do you mind sharing it with us? Have a first memory. Um, you see, I, I have this um, theory about um, memory in that they're, you know, like our first memories are not our first memories. Mm. Our first memories are just the things we're told. Yeah. About, and <laughs> they become memories sort of ingrained at some point. But um, 
like, cause I, I, I honestly don't really remember. I certainly don't remember anything before I was maybe six, mm. five, 82 world cup, <laughs> probably one of my first, cause I think it was so evocative, so strong, yeah. so big, so, so, um, like it just involved the whole family. Everybody was like, sort of just remember there just being lots of joy, excitement. I think it was such a big, big thing that that's the sort of the main memory that I have. I've, I kind of have a vague memory before that of, um, my mom. Um, apparently I told my mom, like she would, um, she would say, eat your toast in a kind of a, 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 like a, kind of like a scolding tone because I <laughs> yeah. used to play with my food and not really eat. And um, I used to think that eat your toast was like a, was that's how you told people off. <laughs> so I would, I would, um, apparently I would, I told my, uh, uh, I, I, like I was annoyed at my mom about something. <laughs> I was like, I don't know, four or five. And I just went, eat your toast. <laughs> and um, she was just like, but I honestly as well think that it was the re retelling of that memory. But um, that's the one I think I've, I've, I remember the most. But before I was six, not really. I don't really have any strong memories. Totally. Bad. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it is. <laughs> I'm sure someone will write and be like, actually, that's a great sign. Or actually, no, that's not a great sign. But I think you're right. Like memory is, memory is a funny thing because like you said, it's shaped so much by kind of like these artifacts that we have, whether it is photos or whether it's kind of like the retelling of the stories. And something that I think was really, really awesome about your guys' last album was that it gave us as listeners, and certainly myself, I remember the first time I listened to Reworked, it gave me this amazing kind of moment to press pause and look back and remember all the first times and all the special times that I heard you know, Snow Patrol's songs from my past. And I was just wondering, what was it like for you as a singer, as the band, as a writer, to revisit some of those songs 25 years later? And did it kind of strike you how much time had passed, how much has changed, and all that sort of stuff? Um, yes, in some ways. And in other ways, um, it felt like no time has passed, you know? I mean, I, like... Um, I, you know, that I do have strong memories. Most of my strongest memories are are Snow Patrol related. You know, like because I guess there's just, you know, those moments, first gigs, first uh, time in the studio, first um, big crowd, first festival, for you know, like all those sort of, all those firsts um, are kind of just invented. Um, and uh, yeah, I think some songs that give me a new way to feel about them. You know. Mm. I mean, Eyes, for example, is um, is one of my favorite reinterpretations on the reworked album, and, um, and it, it it sort of takes that song to a completely different place. And 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 you're all I have as well. The bare stripped downness of it that um, you know from a song that you know was a kind of a big live favorite to like this just skeletal sparseness um, of. You know, it's like de almost like a song of devastation. Yeah. You know, you're all I have. Yeah. I was like you're speaking to to no one suddenly, rather than you know the 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 love or the inspiration in your life or whatever it is that's the thing that holds you up. Now there's nothing left. Um, you're speaking to a ghost. You know, and um, so it's like the the way the lyrics change meaning without changing any words was fascinating to me. Um, 
And, uh, you know, so it was a great, it was a great sort of, um, it was a great way to kind of breathe new life into the songs and, and, and not just by, not just by changing the songs, but by the songs kind of changing, um, changing my perception of them, you know, um, they, they, they took on new life. They became little, um, new little animals. <laughs> and it is, it's a funny thing about kind of all forms of art is everyone's different interpretation of it. Cause I'm sure you, as the writer, would come into a song and you know you'll write the song with something specific in mind but i'm sure you've had countless people come up to you and say oh this line it really spoke to me in such a such a way and you're maybe standing there going like what i didn't mean it to go like that at all exactly yeah i mean there's been some times in my life where i've um heard a word wrong in a song that's really that's that's really meant the word that my version of the yeah. song is really <laughs> meant like something so important to me and then i find out if- <laughs> not and there is this sort of small death that happens um (laughs) and i so i'm very careful i try and be careful anyway about over explaining um songs um unless i'm unless it's sort of unless that is the exercise you know people know what they're getting into like Mm. it's an in-depth analysis of the record or whatever like then people can can decide to 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 um listen in or not there's no spoilers um, if you uh, if you know what you're in for, <laughs> you can switch off. But um, um, but just randomly kind of coming out with like, oh, this song actually means this when you know it, um, people have lived with it for so long and and they're seeing it only their way until you burst that fucking bubble <laughs> and it's not. <laughs> it's Absolutely. So I mean, how do you as a songwriter? walk the the balance between the specific and the universal because i remember like you know when chasing cars came out which you know I, I was like maybe like 11 or 12 or 13 something like that and i remember like we were at you know all right steady on <laughs> we were at the uh you know the school disco and like it, it comes on and you're like but i remember you know listening to that song and always getting like emotionally moved you know you hone in on something so specific like chasing cars and all of a sudden it just opens up and it can mean so many different things to so many different people. So do you kind of intentionally try to keep things vague in your song at some points and then go super specific for other parts? Or what's your kind of thoughts on specific verse universal? I think um, I was writing, as the years have gone on, I've gotten more and more specific. Mm. Um, because you can't, you can't there's a certain point where you just run out of things to say in the macro you know you have to start going micro because it's it's the it's the it's the unexplored territory mm. you know i don't i i don't want to repeat myself it's why we brought 100 million sons out after eyes open you know what i mean it was yeah. not a commercial record <laughs> it was a, it was a it was a you know it's sort of a a deeply personal sort of almost sort of willfully <laughs> commercial it's it's uh, and that was you know call it a mistake or not it's my it's my second favorite um album after wildness but it's going into sort of slightly more granular detail and then you know each time i think you know you get more and more um it gets more and more interesting the further in you go mm. um and wildness was like a sort of uh, like a, a a soul or a psyche kind of excavation and um 
I, I felt like I was as close as 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 kind of um, microscopically <laughs> <laughs> viewing my my uh, myself and and everything else around me as I've ever been. Wow! Um, and I find that most interesting. Um, uh, and it can be abstract too. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be pointed. You know, because there's some there's like like a writer like Justin Vernon, for example. You know, who is um, an extraordinary um, painter with words, mm. um, you, but you don't always know what he's talking about, and and that there's so much scope within that to create. As we were talking about there, just like five minutes ago, like just to create your own life within the song. There's so much universe to live in in those songs, so you don't necessarily need to be specific. But I just, I just don't think I'll ever write. Um, so macro again you know um you know like love is a love is a big subject it doesn't necessarily (laughs) be talked of about you know in in broad terms yeah um just just as you know life or politics or whatever it is you're writing about you know um sometimes the broader you go the less appeal it has yeah yeah it doesn't make any sense there's no real there's no real sense, you know. There's certain people that maybe write to a, a, a template, but eventually it gets tired, and that's you know that's not something I've ever done. But it's um, it is something that um, I've been trying to avoid. You mm. know, we're going to make a different record each time. That's the that's really the only thing we're trying to do. Yeah. So as far as like specific or broad goes, um, I guess. The further we go away from the things that we were doing in the past, the closer we're going to get to <laughs> something new. Sure. And so as you kind of gone down and down more into the specific, have you ever had to somehow balance being authentic and being vulnerable with protecting yourself and giving your time to heal or maybe not going too far? Or do you think it's not an issue? Just go for it. Just express, just reveal. Uh. I mean, you know, I was slightly worried about before we brought out wildness. Where, you know, like, um, did I did I reveal too much? Um, um, are people going to see my madness and run a mile? <laughs> um, but kind of the opposite happened. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure it put some people off, but uh, the the I'd never had as many. Um, people talking about lyrics, people talking about like what they meant to them, you know, like for, on any album, I was getting, I, I got letter, I got so many letters, actual letters written on paper. Wow. Um, uh, you know, like of people writing long letters about what the record meant to them, you know, and, and it, it um, you know, it really, you know, t- it touched me so sort of deeply that um, rather than people kind of go on, this guy is fucking mental <laughs> um like when i understand just by ex- just by telling their own experiences and and it, you know it was really rather beautiful and it felt sort of like there was a a bit of a, a communal element to it you mm. know um and it helped me so you have you know used the word madness there by you sort of 
sharing your own madness. You know, you've given people uh, an invitation to kind of confront and, and share their own. And I think that that is really, really important. And, you know, I'm obviously speaking to you from a Northern Irish context where, you know, we have a lot of work to do kind of as a society on the personal level and the, the kind of big picture level. I really like the the open letter that you were a part of for uh, the mental health kind of awareness and the action. And um, I'm just wondering, how have you gone about maintaining a good headspace for yourself after, you know, something massive like the reworked her and everything that happened after that and, and kind of moving forward through even the current crisis we find ourselves in now? Um, well, I mean, the the big change in my life was when I stopped drinking. Mm. Um, and, you know, that was a, that was a, that was a big moment because I was drinking a lot, like a lot, a lot. Um, and, um, you know, after six months or a year of sobriety, my head started to clear a bit, but I was also doing and still do lots of other things, you know, and that's, you know, it's, it's my, you know, like I'm, I'm wary of like sort of, um, advocating for certain certain things that i do because everybody's different yeah because you know like i I do say with not with caution but just with you know with um uh what's the word i'm thinking of um just with humility i guess you know i'm not saying that these are the these are the right these are going to fix everybody or the right solution for you but um i meditate every day i do qigong i do yoga I exercise a lot, although less at the moment. Um, and, uh, you know, so I just sort of try and maintain sort of, I think physical health helps a lot with mental health. I really do. Even if it's just walking, getting some fresh air. I know, you know, we're, we're, we've, we're, um, living in a different, much, much different environment now, but you know, we can, you know, and still get outside by yourself and have a walk around absolutely for, you know like for half an hour or whatever 20 minutes or 15 minutes or whatever it is just get some exercise that's that's um it's kind of the the, the most important thing i think is movement mm. um especially if you've got a mind like mine which just doesn't doesn't rest very easy <laughs> um gotta you gotta wear it out a bit what's your uh, um, favorite form of exercise <laughs> I run, I do lots of, um, have a whole like routine that I've built up over the, over the years. <laughs> um, it's uh, core and core and weights, not that many weights. I'm not a, as, 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 as anybody that's ever actually seen me, um, will know I'm, uh, I'm definitely not lifting that many weights. <laughs> um, when you go for a run, do you run with your headphones on or do you run without them? Oh, I mean, how long is a run with your headphones on compared to how long is it, is it without your headphones on? Um, it's uh, the, I think the one without your headphones on lasts about an hour more, even if you're only running for 10 minutes. Um, the, yeah, headphones on. Cool. What would you say the most surprising song is on your phone? There isn't any particular type of song that isn't on my, uh, isn't on my iPhone. Um, yeah, there's a... A lot, of da- a lot of dance music, a lot of electronic music, a lot of electro on my um, iPod when I'm running. That's for sure. Cool. What would you say your most underrated song is? And what I mean by that is like a song that you have put out that you feel like 
maybe would have got or should have got more attention than it did because of your own kind of love for it? Um, Life on Earth from uh, from Wildness. Mm. Um, to be honest, I that's I mean, I I think it's far and away the best song I've ever written. Um, like like by like whatever distance you're thinking of by more than that. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's uh, um, yeah yeah. I was I I I don't know. I thought that. I mean, I, you know, like we. Um, you know, uh, obviously, don't give in from the last album did very well, but but um, but I thought Life on Earth would um, would do well too. You just you can never know. You mm. can never know. I mean, it's very slow, so it wasn't going to get played on the radio. But I just thought it would for some reason. I just thought it would find its own way. Yeah, It'd just find its own way out there. You know, just like sometimes it happens with a song. It just a song that kind of just creeps up on you, or just kind of finds its way out there. Like, um, uh, Shut Your Eyes was a big hit in Germany, like, <laughs> like just randomly. It just was just a big hit in Germany. Every time we play Shut Your Eyes in Germany, people go crazy. And um, it just, it wasn't a hit. I'm Belgium too, but it wasn't a hit really anywhere else. Um, so it's just one of those bizarre kind of things. I just thought Life on Earth would have taken off at least somewhere. But, yeah. Um, but not really. I think it's you know it's 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 liked by 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 hardcore fans. But uh, um, but but it's my favorite song we've ever written. So I promise I'm not just saying this because I'm talking to you. But uh, I have a story about Life on Earth because Life on Earth actually is my favorite song by you guys. And so I um, moved away from Northern Ireland when I was 18 and did the whole kind of living in New York thing, and then came back. And when I came back, I was working for Deliveroo, and. Um, Anytime it would start to rain, I had this playlist on Spotify called It's Raining and Life on Earth is how it would open up because I don't know why. It's just the build-up, uh, even instrumentally, was just something that I just absolutely loved. And so, yeah, I, I think I'm glad you, you said it because I think it's just one of those absolutely class songs that uh, I think should get a lot more love. And so uh, for anyone listening who hasn't checked it out, I highly, highly recommend it and I'll definitely put a link to it. Love it. Well, thank you very much. That's very, that's very, that's very kind. <laughs> yeah, random, but uh, I just couldn't resist whatever you said. Um, so we have a couple of like uh, questions sent in by um, listeners. Some of them are voice. Some of them are not. But uh, here is one from Naomi, and hopefully this makes it to you. Hey, Gary. Um, just wondering, as you started playing maybe more gigs and started thinking yeah I'm actually I'm getting quite good at this when was the point or was there a particular point or person that you met that made you think I'm gonna go for this this is what I'm gonna do with my life I'm gonna be a famous musician <laughs> Naomi <laughs> Naomi um well uh I think it's funny because like now I would um I would absolutely never use the term famous musician you know? <laughs> I, I just um but I did probably think when I was 18 I'm going to be a famous musician <laughs> because that's just the way I was I was kind of cocky um I, I was actually deeply deeply insecure but um, <laughs> I I kind of had a cockiness as well I sort of a, a um a paradoxical cockiness that went along with it um I'm I'm not sure what the point was when I felt like I was gonna be I don't know if you're talking about fame or success or both or 
because I mean, obviously, the first ten years of our career, we didn't have we didn't have either of those things. From 1994 to 2004, we didn't have any hits. Um, so I. Th- think when I was 18, I thought, um, you know, when we started the band, I thought I'm going to be famous by next Tuesday lunchtime. And um, over the next 10 years, that <laughs> ebbed away. <laughs> that cockiness <laughs> ebbed away to nothing. You know, it was filed down to to just a pile of dust. Um, and I thought, <laughs> I'll ne- you know, this is never going to happen. I, I was no longer thinking in terms of fame. But, um, but in terms of success, I don't think any of us thought it was going to happen. And then Joe Wiley played a six-minute song from our album, Final Straw, on Daytime Radio 1 called Run. And uh, hmm. everything changed overnight. Um, uh, and then, I guess, we just didn't have any time to think about fame or success. or and It just was like, a, it was like being shot out of a cannon. It really was. Because we were just on tour. The tour kept getting extended. We went from doing like two-week tours over the last <laughs> 10 years, you know, from 94 to 2004. The longest tour we'd done was maybe two weeks around the UK and Ireland. Um, the final straw tour was 18 months, um, constant. Then Eyes Open, we went in, recorded Eyes Open. Then we did another two years on tour with Eyes Open. Then 100 Million Sons was 18 months. It just, like, it was just constant touring. So I don't think we ever really thought about fame or fortune we were all just disorientated yeah having a lot of fun a lot, <laughs> a lot of fun but also um not really given any time to think about it until we finally stopped after the fallen empires tour and um so in terms of like thinking was there somebody i met was there somebody i met it probably wasn't until i met um jim chancellor from polydor um, Jazz Summers, um, Big Life Management, and Jack Knife Lee. We met all three of those gentlemen. Jazz Summers isn't with us anymore, unfortunately. Um, uh, he passed away a few years ago. Um, we met all three of those people in around about the same time. Um, Jim signed us to Polydor. Jazz managed us at Big Life, and Jack Knife produced Final Straw. Unbelievable. And every other album. Er- since aside from reworked um and has been a part of our family a part of the band really um since then so so those three people kind of changed everything for us the jazz was the first manager that really believed us and put his weight behind us and jim was the first record company major record company um person that that believed in us and jack knife just changed the way we recorded and the way we thought about songs and the way we thought about ourselves Mm. So those three people, it just it just took ten years to meet them, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, the, uh, you know, I say unfortunately, but I wouldn't change anything. Do you think it was good for you that you you guys didn't all of a sudden blow up? You know, from from the very get go, if you know what I mean, or, or would you just look back and be like, nah, it could have came sooner. Sooner, come on, man. <laughs> um, I th- I I think it's very very important. Um, uh, not very many bands survive early success. Mm. Um, and I don't mean that. You know, like of course, bands that have success in their first album go on to be very successful. But there's there's not that many that that survive in terms of their ego and the way they approach life and the way they approach people and the way they approach just um, their music. Uh, I think there's 
you know, there's there's a there's a handful of bands I can think of that had success on their first record that just continue to be great and continue to be, you know, so like Arcade Fire or Arctic Monkeys. You know, that continue that continue that, yeah. that to to keep on growing and being extraordinary through their careers. Um, but everybody else is kind of fucked by it. You know, most people are kind of fucked by early success. Totally, you want to have a few years of struggle at the start obviously you can't plan for any of that but you know i would say three years toughness at the start to to make you tough (laughs) would be good if i was planning it which of course you can't plan (laughs) but uh 10 years is fucking pushing it let's be honest um but uh very like there's very few bands that have that length of time before they have you know, like sort of mainstream success. You yeah. know, I'm thinking um, Pulp, Flaming Lips, Mercury Rev, Elbow to an extent, I guess, before they kind of became sort of national treasures. They had a lot, a lot of brilliant albums that weren't kind of like mainstream, but um, but but I guess still they were recognized and they were getting Mercury nominations and things like that. So maybe Elbow's not a great example, but the other bands I mentioned are probably good examples. Yeah. Certainly Pulp. They were on an indie label as well, Fire Records, I believe, for for maybe maybe the same length of time as we were. Um, and then you know they had their success and sold millions of records and headline Glastonbury and all that. You know, so it's like it's it happens sometimes with a ten year sort of um, prologue, but it doesn't um, it doesn't often happen. It certainly doesn't often happen that you go from an indie label, a field <laughs> indie band. Um, to to be assigned to a major label, so good. Not that many people would take that risk, but <laughs> as I mentioned before, Jim Chancellor, um, you know, um, bet on us, and then you know was uh, changed our lives. So good. Here's one from Jack here. All right, it's Jack Hamilton here. I'm just wondering, what are you really proud of, but never get the chance to talk about? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. We're talking about pride. Uh, things I'm proud of. Um, what am I proud of? Never get the chance to talk about it. I don't know. It's not great that I can't think of anything, I suppose. <laughs> but, um, uh, It's not my dazzling football skills. Really. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I was going to ask um, you actually when you brought up the World Cup in your first memory. I was like, I didn't know he was in. He was like big into football. <laughs> oh, you know, massively since I was a kid. I just wasn't very good at it. You know, but I play. I play. Before the wildness tour started, I was playing three times a week here. You know, in my Unreal. in my in my in my forties, playing with a lot of like twenty-year-olds who were um, uh, like just um <laughs> frankly annoying me to be honest um, they were so good um i think the fallacy is you know the thing that we think in 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 the uk and ireland or europe in general is that americans can't play football you know but um that's not true at all <laughs> um there's 350 million of them you know what i mean it only takes a small percentage of that to be good yeah yeah they've got a, a much better a sample big, pool yeah. number. um but uh I'm proud of. I'm 
I don't know. I mean, I think I think I've been very lucky in that the things that I am proud of, I've got to, you know, the, you know, it's not. I guess people know about the band, the bands that I'm in, um, you know, like Snow Patrol, and and, and to a much lesser extent, obviously, in terms of like the 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 um, the, the knowledge of or the popularity of the uh, Reindeer Section and Tire Pony, you know, I mean, I suppose Reindeer Section and Tire Pony, okay, well, I suppose I don't get to talk about them very often. I'm, yeah, I'm very proud of those records. That's a good, that's a good, um, that's a good thing to talk about, I guess, if, mm. if, if, if I have to answer this question. <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, you know, Tire Pony <clears throat> is, a, is a band that I started with Peter Buck and Scott McCoy from REM, along with, you know, like Jack Knife Lee and Ian Archer and Richard um, Coburn from Bell Sebastian and Troy Stewart. And, uh, you know, like it's, it's, um, it's a, it was a phenomenal couple of records, um, like a phenomenal time that we had making those records. They were just, um, I went to the um, studio in Portland. We recorded the first album in Portland, Oregon, and uh, I, I only had four songs written. Uh, I was in the middle of a massive bout of writer's block and uh, I went into the studio. I was shitting myself because I was about <laughs> to like record with Peter Buck, one of my, my heroes, just absolute guitar heroes. And um, I was thinking, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. We're making an album. I've only got four songs. And uh, um, I went into the studio and you know played him what I had and, played everybody what I had. We recorded the first, we recorded those four songs on the first day. Um, so every other day, we were in for nine days. Every other day I was writing and we were recording. Wow. And while people were finishing off recording, I was writing the next one <laughs> and the next one and the next one. It changed the writer's block that I had into this purple patch of writing that I've never experienced. I just... We did fifth. We recorded fifteen songs in nine days. My goodness! And um, and I wrote eleven of them in like twenty minutes each. <laughs> and um, and it was um, it was just so much fun. It was just so creative, and like um, the environment was just perfect. It was like you know whatever the greenhouse environment is to grow tomatoes in, or whatever like the perfect <laughs> environment. It just it just worked, and. Um, and then with the reindeer section, it was like um, 27 musicians in Glasgow um, <laughs> trying to get it, just trying to get everybody to the studio was tricky, um, <laughs> making a lot of phone calls. I spent most of the time on the phone. Um, back in those days, no mobile phone, so it was just like uh, trying to get somebody that was actually in their house so Mantle. we could call them. My goodness. But, um, uh, but yeah, those two, those two bands are, I'm very proud of. And, um, you know, just... Uh, guess i don't get to talk about them very often that's awesome just on the note of these bands so why why what, like why the name reindeer section um i was walking around a uh, lou barlow lou barlow is one of my all-time heroes um for anybody that doesn't know lou barlow um he's in a band called sabado and sabado were like one of the biggest influences on me at early my early kind of musical life um this is an extraordinary songwriter. Um, and uh, 
he did this series of solo gigs in Nice and Sleazy's, in, which is a bar, like a, a, a venue bar in Glasgow. It's about 150 capacity. We played a few ramshackle shows in there in the early <laughs> days ourselves. Um, and uh, he did Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night acoustically. And on the Saturday, I went to all three, and on the Saturday night, everybody from basically the whole crowd it was 150 people and it was 150 people from glasgow band so you can imagine <laughs> who was there Armstrap, teenage fan club mogwai bell and sebastian it was you know it was it was just it was like a, a who's who of glasgow music at yeah. the time or scottish music and um i just went round everybody after the show drunk going <laughs> I'm starting a band, and then I just sort of made, like, it's called the reindeer section, I just made it up in my head, and um, do you want to be in it? And people were going, yeah, okay, thinking, he's never going to, sure. he's never going to, he's not even going to remember yeah, this. Yeah, 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 um, And the next morning, I got up and I wrote um, the, the bones of the album, um, and uh, started, like, um giving people tapes and things like that. They're like, oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ, this guy's actually serious. Um, and found a record label in, in from Northern Ireland, actually, called Bright Star Records. Johnny Davis and Darren Smith uh, ran the label. And um, they gave us some money to make a record, and it went well. Um, we actually sold six times more <laughs> albums than the, la than the second Snow Patrol record. But, <laughs> So it was. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's still not. It's still not a lot of records, but sure. uh, you know, like uh, you know, it was a fifty. I mean, it was. It was. A, it was a fine. It was a fine amount. You know, over the course of the time, maybe fifty thousand or something like that. It was. It, was, it was a pretty good amount. Yeah, epic. Um, and um, and then we ended up going to like Japan and stuff. Like that. We brought seventeen people to Japan to play Summer Sonic Festival, which. I mean, goodness knows our tour, our poor tour manager at the time. I mean, he just couldn't get anybody. The, the Japanese, Japan is amazing, um, but uh, they're very, you know, everything is like when you get the itinerary, it'll literally say 7 a.m. hotel lobby. Wow. 7.01. Oh, in my bus. goodness. 7.22 at radio station. You know, what? like, what? Like, yeah. literally have everything down to the to the minute. And 7.30 a.m. came, and there was, like, two of us in the lobby. <laughs> um, and the, the Japanese label were just going, like, absolutely mental. Like, they're just like, what, what is going on? This is so, like, you can just imagine the mix of, like, oh, trying to be polite, but also we're being the most impolite people by not being there, you know. And um, that was just the whole trip. You know, it was a really fun trip, and the gigs were great. But um, um, people were, everybody, including myself, who were just, you know, we're in Japan for what was the first time I was in Japan. At that time, you're going to enjoy yourself, you know? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Here's, uh, here's one from Emma. Hi, Gary. Emma here. Obviously, living in LA now, there must be lots of things you miss about Northern Ireland. Is there any food items that you wish you could buy over there that you really miss from home? Everyone misses a bit of potato bread. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, Emma, I um there are a few things. Um for my mum's shepherd's pie, for starters, you can't Oof. buy that here. <laughs> you can't, can't buy that in Northern Ireland either. But um uh the you know, like things I miss are like Barry's tea. Mm. Um and um yeah, you said potato bread, but soda bread, yeah, soda bread I miss. Deadly. Soda farls, like for sure. Um, I'll definitely buy a, a pack of soda farls when I, when I come, first thing when I come <laughs> home, there'll always be a pack of them in the shopping trolley when I, when I get home. So good. Um, and uh, yeah, but I mean, I'm back in, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty much living back again in, in Bangor. I just happened to be here. I just happened to be here working on, um, a TV show, like music for a TV show, when all this happened, which is why I, I didn't want to fly home for ten hours and bring something back with me. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, you know, I'd, otherwise I'd be home. So good. Uh, this is from uh, another fellow. I don't. Know, do you say Bangorian? Do you say Bangorite? People from Bangor are called. But I mean Bangorian yeah. is probably the word, but I, I don't think I would say that. <laughs> Carol from Bangor. Folks, folks from Bangor. <laughs> Hi, Gary. It's Carol from Young Enterprise here. What's your favourite thing about being an uncle? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, when my niece was very young, I got to hand her back when she was crying. Um, <laughs> that was uh, that was good. Um, I'm only kidding. Um, although that did happen. Um, I think. My fa- I mean, my, my niece is just uh, she's just um, amazing. She's very very smart. Very very funny. Very very funny. Like from a very early age, she was always um, saying things that just that just didn't really fit with. Like like when she was five, she said to uh, um, to her my mum or her granny, "Oh, granny, give my head piece." <laughs> how, how do you even what? <laughs> How do you know the context to say that in? I just, I mean, so, I mean, I guess, you know, like we all as un- uncles or aunties or, you know, like, I, mean, I don't know, uh, or, um, I'm not a parent, but I would imagine it's many, many, many times more if you are, but like you just sort of see your niece or nephew or son or daughter with through rose tinted spectacles, you know what I mean? So maybe lots of kids say that sort of stuff when they're, <laughs> when they're young, but it just, to me, it was a sign that she was a genius, you know? Um, so, <laughs> but I think that's just me being a proud uncle. Well, there's, there's only one boy who says eat your toast though. So, I mean, you've got that, that in the bag. <laughs> well, yeah, 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 no, um, she said a lot worse. Um, and, uh, honey did, but, um, uh, honey is her name. Um, yeah, um, what's my favorite thing about being an uncle? Um, just the, just the awe. I think, I think the awe, like seeing my 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 niece is a is a an acrobat. She taught herself how to be an acrobat. She's a dancer. She's a, um, she's like basically a stand up comedian as well. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> she, I don't know where she learned she learned any of that from, but um, uh, the. Like she does, like flips in the air with no hands, flips. You know what I mean, and all this <laughs> back flips and walking on her hands. And I'm just standing there going, "What? How does like it's like Cirque du Soleil in the living room." 
So good. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I think that's my favorite thing is just um, getting to see her, getting to see her shine, you know? That's awesome. Um, always kind of wrap up the interviews with, there's a couple of stock questions. We've asked all 130 people from Northern Ireland. Uh, I'm going to quick fire some of these just to kind of uh, blitz through them. The first one is, um, what's your favorite takeaway from Northern Ireland? What's my favorite takeaway? Um, uh, yaks in Bangor. Chicken tikka masala, yaks. Oh my goodness! Brilliant, deadly, so good. Uh, favorite place to get ice cream in Northern Ireland? Well, it's got to be Mods, right? <laughs> if you could take anyone from Northern Ireland out for a cup of tea, who would you take? Where would you take them, and why? Out for a cup of tea. I'm a massive, massive boxing fan. So any boxer, I'd love to just chin wag with Carl Frampton <laughs> or uh, Michael Conlon or Paddy Barnes or, or you know any 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 of the any of the great Northern Irish boxers or Barry McGuigan. I'd like to you know legends just to find out. Just I just want to know everything. I just want to know everything. <laughs> I want to know what it's like to be in the ring because I'm not going to get in there myself. <laughs> so good uh some more kind of heavy heavy hitter sort of questions i suppose the first one being um out of all of your experience so far is there a moment that you could fairly confidently describe as your most successful successful i don't know um Number one albums always make you feel like you're walking <laughs> slightly taller than you than, uh, than you than you did the day before. Um, I think Ward Park, and you know you can pick any of the three of them really. I mean the second one was the biggest one, so um, but but I think the third one because it was a you know there was a lot of th- um, we were kind of advised against it in a lot of ways, you know. Um, that it had been too long, um, bef- you know, since the last one, mm. and we'd been too long away. We'd been away for seven years before we brought Wildness out, and um, and we knew that we could pull it off, um, but we had to put our, you know, like MCD um, put money in, and we put money in, so we put half our um, half the money in. MCD put half the money in. Um, we we. It was our first co-production on anything, like um, any of the word parks or anything, um, our co-promotion. So it was a lot riding on it. And, you know, for 35,000 people to show up, uh, it, it just blew our minds. It was the, one of the most extraordinary, extraordinary things. I'll never fully be able to thank uh, people from the people of Northern Ireland for those three experiences. Mm. The folks from Bangor as well. <laughs> the the folks from Bangor, yes, for sure. But people travel from all over the place to come to come to that. And yes, of course, you know Bangor and Bangor Council as well for helping put put us put us on, and everybody that helped put those shows on, and all the places in Bangor that looked after everybody as well. There was restaurants that stayed up until two in the morning, so that you know people that couldn't get home until. You know the you know the, the next ru- fleet of taxis came back from leaving people <laughs> off all around the country. Um, you know, like so. You know, like you know, massive thanks to everybody um, in Bangor, but you know, for all the people that travelled there as well, and all the people that came from all over Ireland and Northern Ireland and and um, all around the world. There's people came from Japan and Australia, wow. and, um, America, and all over Europe. It's unreal. In Asia. 
So flip side of the last question, how about the, the greatest challenge you faced? And if you don't mind sharing, how were you able to overcome that? Um, I don't know. I think probably giving up drink. Mm. Probably is. Um, I I can't think of anything else that was harder. Yeah. Um, I I didn't go the conventional route. Although you know, there's there's plenty of people that 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 do this do that type of thing unconventionally as well. Of course, I'm not um, saying that I was um, charting some new territory, but uh, uh, you know, I didn't do AA or anything like that. But I did have some people around me. Um, close friends that um, helped me, you know, greatly through it. And, and to them, they all know who they are. Mm. Um, I'm forever indebted. I saved my life in a lot of ways. But but you've also got to want to do something like that, you know, because so many times in my life I've, I've sort of half-arsedly, I sort of half-arsedly tried to give up or, you know, like, oh, I'm going to quit, you know. Yeah. And then it doesn't really take. Um, you kind of almost. I mean, sometimes, and this this is the way it worked out for me. Uh, you know, hopefully it's not the way it works out for everybody. But I kind of had to hit rock bottom before I realized that, that I couldn't, literally, couldn't fall any further. Mm. Um, and then you just got to climb back up again. Wow. Um, without the help of drink, that's the thing you got to leave behind. Leave that in the hole, and then climb out of the hole. But. Um, uh, it took a year before I was behind it, you know, um, a year of like not going to the pub or not yeah. going out. Or, and I kind of, those those um, repercussions are sort of still felt. I mean, even before the, the, the sort of the, 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 the landscape that we're living in now, you know what I mean? I, I, I just wasn't, I, you know, I haven't really been social mm-hmm. um, since, not properly. Um, it's actually being back on tour with the band is what kind of brought me out, you know, back socially again. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was, you know, it was great to be around, you know, to kind of f- be around familiar people and, um, and, and be around people. Um, cause most of the time I was kind of just in, in the house and obviously we all find ourselves in yeah. the house now. Um, and, uh, you know, the, those, um, you know, some, you know, a lot of people are probably struggling with that, you know, that feeling of being hemmed in. Um, and I feel for them. I have had, uh, you know, um, I have had a little bit of practice in recent years. Mm. Um, so I'm not kind of feeling that hemmed in this, but I totally understand if people are. And, you know, I really, I really hope they, I hope they don't feel too isolated. Totally, man. So, Gary, final question. Question we always kind of end one is, um, it's a bit of a cliche, but it's <laughs> it's what we've been doing, and it's the one I love, and it's simply this: if you could you know, hop in some sort of a time machine and go back to an 18-year-old version of Gary and you had just a couple of minutes of his time, um, what sort of things would you say to him? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't, I, I, I'm not avoiding the question. I'll try and answer it, but I'll also caveat it by saying I probably won't, I, I wouldn't want to mess with anything. Mm. Um. In terms of the career that we had, however much of a strangled route it, a strangled route it was to get um, 
to, to you know in the first ten years, it it, it um, I wouldn't want to change anything. I think I would say, um, to I look back on those days. I look back at that kid. I've actually been because I've been doing a lot of like live Instagram gigs and things like that. And really, st- I'm sort of working my way through the Snow Patrol catalog, so I have to learn a lot of it to do that. <laughs> um, there's been songs that I haven't played in 20 years. Some some songs I haven't played since they were recorded. You know, wow. Um, so it's um, I don't. I'm not like Foy Vance who can remember every single song. That <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm the guy that has to record everything, write everything down. And then, you know, um, and then what happens is along all, over the years, you lose those books, you lose those recordings. Oh, man. To, <laughs> the only thing you've got left is to listen to the, you know, they listen to the album and go, <laughs> is this what I was playing or is this what? Um, uh, <laughs> any, anyway, I, um, uh, I think I would try and make, I would try and make him understand the, the young version of me um, that I don't need to be so angry. You know, I was very angry. It came out a lot when I was playing, because because you would you know whatever whatever emotion that is at the root of you, whatever emotion is at your core, is gonna come out when you're at your when 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 you're pouring out on stage. Mm. You know. These days, when you see me on stage, and for many years, um, I'll more often than not have a big fucking smile on my face because I'm <laughs> the fucking time of my life. Um, but those days, I was like kicking things over, breaking guitars, smashing shit up, like shouting at shouting at people in the audience. Like I was a, I was angry, you know. I just, I just, I, I you know, I, 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 I would say that. I would say to him, there's no, there's, there, you know, stop being so goddamn angry. Hmm. Um, I think over time, as we grow, as I've grown anyway, I mean, can't speak to everybody, but my um, anger just started to ebb away. And I think it was probably born of resentment, like feeling like I was owed something, which is a terrible, terrible, terrible mindset to have, you know, like, what about these songs? Why has nobody listened to these songs? You know, you get pissed off when you have so many years of not of no success. When you think that you've <laughs> somehow that you somehow are owed it or something, yeah. it's just a terrible, terrible, like toxic environment to live in in your head. Um, and uh, I would say that nobody is owed anything. You, you, you. Even sometimes when you've earned something, you don't get it, Mm. you know? So you have to make peace with the fact that we don't get what we want all the time. And, um, uh, trying to explain that to my 18 year old self, though, would be fucking difficult. (laughs) (laughs) I would probably tell my now 43 year old self to go fuck himself, (laughs) but they're in, they're in, you know, case in point, you know, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to reason with anger. Totally. Well, Gary, mate, honestly, thank you so, so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. And keep doing what you're doing, man. The, the online live stuff's class. And I know uh, a lot of us are really enjoying it this time. So thanks for that. And thanks for this. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It was a really lovely to talk to you. Thank you. It was a, it was a really, really lovely interview. I, I, I'm, I'm, you, know, you, asked some, you asked some fantastic questions. And so did the, so did the people 
you know the the, the that that phone that phoned in or left messages and thank you no worries thanks man uh stay safe and enjoy the rest of your day it's gonna say evening you, you, but uh <laughs> but too. day for you <laughs> is everybody okay there are you okay is your family okay yeah man we seem to be um all things considered everyone seems to be doing pretty good i mean we're obviously all kind of locked down like everyone else but uh in terms of the big picture so far so good you know that we have kind of individual stories that are tragic but i think overall we seem to be pulling through this pretty well um and i hope that that continues good good i'm i'm, I'm glad i'm glad um but uh well take care of yourself okay yes thank you very much see you later see you take care bye-bye bye-bye <laughs> unreal well there it is um Thank you so much once again to Gary for hopping on the phone there. Really, really appreciate it. The sun is now well and truly set. I'm just looking out here. I've, I've had my had my um, my eyes fixated on the recorder the whole time. Like, bro, are you sure this is recording? Like, checking the Wi-Fi. Like, bro, don't fail me. Like, out of all the interviews, don't let this one be the one where it flops. I haven't even had a chance to look outside. Just looking outside here. And yeah, it's uh, got that nice kind of... You know, it's kind of like the sky gets a wee bit kind of light just before it goes really, really dark. It's like that lovely kind of navy blue sort of color. That's actually my favorite time of day. It's my favorite color, actually, in the world. I used to go out in really long walks, probably actually flipping listening to Snow Patrol whenever I was like 13, uh, around where I used to live. And uh, yeah, it's beautiful, beautiful country, good, beautiful place to be. And uh, beautiful conversation thank you so much for listening thanks especially for making it all the way through to the end my absolute favorite part of all of these conversations is just that last kind of 10 minutes there's just something about it like i know there's the whole kind of like people get warmed up and you know people kind of get in the flow of conversation and all that sort of stuff but it's just those questions like i love i love finding out kind of like i don't know like the white hot center of, of somebody's story and you know, their successes, their challenges, and, and what advice they would give to their younger selves. I just think it's so, so, so powerful. It's such a powerful thing even just to do for yourself, <laughs> even if you don't have the unfortunate uh, situation of me asking you the questions. It's actually really super powerful just to sit and uh, go through those questions yourselves. And it is amazing what comes up. I think people sometimes, even whenever they come on the show, they're amazed at what, what they say and the things that kind of do come out. And, you know, this is why I love doing the show. I love finding out uh, what makes people do what they do, what makes them tick, what are they proud of, what are they ashamed of, what are they currently working on, what have they worked on. And uh, we all somehow sort of shoehorn that under the umbrella of celebrating Northern Ireland and the incredible people in it. And so, yeah, just want to give a massive, massive thank you to you for listening to the show for the last three years big thank you especially if you are part of the producers club and you support the podcast financially really it is just so so overwhelming and i really really appreciate it you made today's show possible you made episodes just like this happen and i'm so so appreciative for you trusting me with your time for trusting me uh in those places that you take your podcasts on whether it is out for a run or whether it's in the car or doing the dishes or cutting the grass or wherever you kind of find yourself right now uh, I really appreciate you spending the time to to hang out today and, and hear more about Gary's story. And look, if you're a first-time listener, if this is your first experience at Best of Belfast ever, uh, slightly different than usual, we're doing a, a series the minute called Quarantine Phone Calls because we can't do face-to-face interviews. We're, so, so we're just hopping on the phone with someone interesting from Northern Ireland. And if you'd like to check out over 130 
interesting kind of hour-long conversations just like the one you've heard today you can head to bestofbelfast.org we've had the absolute privilege of interviewing some of the most amazing some of those amazing amazing people who call this place home some of those amazing people in the world frankly including people who i've looked up to my whole life growing up uh all the way through to complete hidden gems and underdogs that i never would have known about if it wasn't for people like you writing in emails and texts and uh messages and letters yeah actually even letters uh you can send letters to omo baths and even just for the personal connections, the personal introductions to some guests, I'd like to kind of say this is a podcast made for Northern Ireland by Northern Ireland. It really, you know, it's a crowdfunded show, number one, but it's really built on you. It's built on the people who listen. And uh, for that, I am really, really grateful. So there you go. Don't know why I went off on one there, but I just did. I was just feeling it. Got all of my got all of my feels there, you know. Don't know if it was it was that flipping navy blue sky. It's taking me on a trip back to nostalgia town there. <laughs> but yes, uh, really looking forward to sharing another one of these with you tomorrow. And uh, thanks again. My name is Matthew Thompson. This is Best of Belfast. And until next time, all the very best. Please stay safe. Uh, please, you know, call your grannies <laughs> and uh, take care of yourself. Until next time, cheers.